Hi, my name is Tommaso, your student host for the My First Year Story podcast. Here, I'll be sitting down with people who have the answers to your college questions and who can help give me advice as a University of Connecticut student by telling their own first year stories during our conversations. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Klein and Naidu Nuno from the biology department. Dr. Klein is an assistant professor in residence in the molecular and cell biology department here at UConn. Dr. Klein teaches introductory, uh, excuse me, introductory biology, intro to clinical research, as well as other writing intensive biology electives. She earned her PhD in neuroscience from Emory University, where her dissertation research focused on Parkinson's disease. Naidu is an undergraduate pre-med student in the process of completing a dual degree in molecular and cell biology and physiology and neurobiology with a minor in chemistry. Dr. Klein and Naidu, we're so glad to have you here to talk to us about your experiences at UConn. Would you please introduce yourselves to our listeners, your name, pronouns, hometown, and if your life was a movie, what genre would it be and who would you want to play you? Why don't we start with Dr. Klein? Sure. My name is Elizabeth Klein and my pronouns are she, her, and my hometown is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And if my life was a movie, currently the genre would be rom com because I am planning my wedding. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know who would play me. Um, I would probably try to because I have a Leo moon. Okay. Um, so my name is Naidu. You know, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm from Milford, Connecticut, so I'm not so far away, about an hour and a half. And um, if my life were a movie, definitely probably a comedy because of like, I swear some of the things that happen to me sometimes, like I don't even understand. <laughs> but there's also good parts, so I enjoy it. And I'm like not... I don't know actors too well, so I also don't know who would play me. Okay, self-starring yeah. roles. Yeah. There we go. Amazing. So let's dive right in. Um, let's talk about this biology department. Um, Dr. Klein, what factors influenced your decision to become a biology professor here at UConn? My decision to become a biology professor started with my love of biology. So I love thinking about how brains work. Honestly, I felt really uncomfortable not knowing how a part of my body worked. So like in high school, when we were doing a unit on the brain, I was like, what do you mean we don't have cures for some brain diseases? That makes me really uncomfortable. I need to figure out how my whole body works, including my brain. So then I majored in neuroscience as an undergrad. The decision to do this job and this work specifically at UConn came from the fact that um, this was my dream job. I wanted a teaching focused job rather than a job where I would have to go back and forth between the lab and the classroom. I wanted exclusively teaching. And although I do like research, I don't want to uh, knock research. It's it's cool too, but I felt really well suited to a job that focused on teaching. So great job description. And additionally, love the location because my now fiance is getting his PhD here. Perfect. I know. Definitely a rom-com. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And then, Naidu, what factors influenced your decision to enroll here at UConn and ultimately become an SI instructor for Bio 1107? Okay, so I I feel like maybe some people will relate. I UConn actually wasn't my first choice of college. I didn't apply to many schools because I had like a thing in my head. I'm like, I'm going to go to Ivy League. I feel like a lot of people like they think that. So I applied. I was able to get waitlisted into Brown, but like it didn't go through. So UConn was a fallback plan or like a second option for me. So like, that's just me being like candid about that. But 
I think retro, like thinking about it now and like being here for four years, it was probably one of the better decisions that I made because of the environment. I met a lot of cool people. And then also like, I don't know, I feel like I'd be more stressed in an Ivy League environment because like you have to like play up like, you're right. You know, it's about the prestige there. Yeah. I think that's happens a lot at um, UConn. A lot of guests we have on this podcast, UConn may not be their first choice. And sometimes it is their first choice. For what it's worth, it was my first choice. (laughs) Um, And, but 100% across the board, everyone enjoys their time here. Um, Last week, we had an interview with an ACES student. UConn was not her first choice. She was a transfer student. She felt really alone in the beginning, and now she's a senior, and she's like, I wouldn't want my path to be anywhere else. And I think that's like a, it's cool, right? Everyone throws themselves into it. Yeah, that's Um, lovely. And then speaking about um, your SI instruction, how did your path lead you there? So I actually started mentoring after I took the class freshman year, and I was with Dr. Abbott because you were not here yet. Um, And then when Dr. Klein came, I volunteered to help your session out. Because the thing is, for me, I go being a pre-med student, I just wanted, for me, exposure is like the best way that I learn. Um, I also tend to take more leadership positions. So I just like wanted, it was more uncomfortability for me because I'm very, I would say I'm very introverted. So it's part of me working on my person. Like Good for you. And then I also, thank you. I just also wanted to like continue doing biology and Mm -hmm. like keeping myself up to check with like information. Um, and then I just like, I don't want to say networking, but like I ended up partnering with Sarah Perleski, who was the SI instructor the year before me. And she just recommended me to do it this year. So that's eventually how I did it. And I'm very happy that she recommended me. Awesome. That's great. And so take us back your first year here at UConn. Describe your first year experiences and a few things you learned from, uh, a pre-med student and what led you to decide to become this pre-med track. So I always knew that medicine is something that I wanted I like kind of struggling with it now like exactly why do I want it because Mm -hmm. like obviously yes I want to help people but um I was just always gravitated to like how does the body work it was always very something very interesting to me yeah Yeah, so I just like I don't have like a exact reason or like a pinpointed story as to like why medicine is something I want to do it's just something that was interesting for me um but because I came in as pre-med, I had like a, a an idea in my head of what I needed to be as a student just to like be able to get into med school. Right. I feel a lot of my journey was like, what do I need to do to like make myself, uh, what's the word, like competitive compared How to do like I my stand colleagues. Out? Yeah, exactly. So I kind of took my experiences with high school, like even though I did well, I wasn't like, I didn't have all A's. I didn't, I felt like I was lacking in that way. So I came into college, was like, I need to like hunker down, I need to get good grades. And I did, but it also came with the cost of like a social life. And sure. that's, yeah, so that's something that I like, I joined a bunch of clubs, but I didn't follow through with them because I was mm-hmm. like, I need to study. Um, but eventually it actually led to my decision. I became an RA. And a lot of people are like, oh, Ari's really whatever. But I think it was a good thing because I met so many good people. Yeah. Um, they, like, changed my life in a different way. And it also gave me an outlet besides school. You know what I mean? So very happy about that. So, like, a thing that I learned from my freshman year was, like, you need, like, as much as your academics are important, you also need a social life because you need to take care of your mind and your person. And, like, just because you have good grades doesn't mean that you're, like, happy. Right, especially you know? being a pre-med student, like, trying to learn about yourself. That is, um, that's the thing across the board that I think students come in who are either extremely successful in high school and are, have all A's across the board and get to school and think, all right, this is who I got to be. I got to be the straight A student, like you were saying. And then they realize they get to November, where we are now, and feel burnt 
and struggling. And I mean, I'm assuming you've noticed in your students, it's just like, you got to be able to channel that out elsewhere. So oh, for sure. That's great. And Dr. Klein, what was your first experience in college like? Um, what did you learn from your academic experience as an undergraduate student? My freshman year of college at the University of Pittsburgh was, I'll start with like the super exciting things. Yeah. I took a class called Darwinism and its Critics in the History and Philosophy of Science Department. Um, and it changed my world. That professor, uh, Dr. Lennox, I'll never forget him. Like just, I could listen to him talk about that topic. I thought the TA for the class was super cool. I was like, that's the kind of person I want to be. She has cool pants. She, I feel like, she, yeah, I thought Catherine was so awesome. So I felt my, in my first year, I took a class that made me feel really excited and interested. And I was like, I need to go more in that direction. So I added it as a major, even though I didn't even know that was a field that existed right. when I came to campus. So that was a lovely thing that happened to me in my first year. Less lovely things. I was, <laughs> I found it extremely challenging to take biology and chemistry and calculus all at the same time. As many students do. As many students do who I now teach. <laughs> right? I, I teach biology now. That's one of the ones that was absorbing all of my time, taking all of my focus my, my first year. So I withdrew from my calculus class in my freshman fall. I'd never gotten a grade that low on my first calc exam. And so I was like, oh, no, a low grade. That's never happened to me before. I better withdraw from the whole class. One thing I have learned since then or kind of from that was that you can sometimes fail an exam and still crush the class. So I probably could have reached out for help, gone to see a TA, asked the professor for a meeting, gone to office hours. I didn't try any of that before I took a W. Yeah, you just washed your hands. Right, because it was scary. Um, so yeah, that's a thing that I learned, that there you, you can you can probably fail an exam and still be okay. And you should check out your resources maybe before you W, but I'll also say that no regrets. Like I ended up taking Calc 1 and 2 over the summer, like after that first year. Don't worry about it. And um, had an awesome time taking Calc in the summer, yeah. actually, and found that I loved the class and it was cool to take it on its own. So Good. that was my first year. And do you bring any of those undergrad experiences into your teaching? Of course I do. Yeah. I, I think one thing I bring is that I made a best friend from studying uh, with people my, my first year. So like, I'll never forget staying up until like two in the morning arguing about how DNA polymerase <laughs> grips on to the double helix during replication. I hope I said that right. I'm yeah. DNA. <laughs> not super listening to myself closely. Yeah, thanks. I do. Um, with my friend Naomi and we were trying to draw it out and visualize it. And that was such a beautiful bonding experience. Yeah. And now, you know, I, th I thought so highly of her all through the following years. She became a close friend. Um, so I think of that when I recommend to my students, you should be studying with other people. You can benefit a lot from hearing yourself explain something out loud to others. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely interesting coming off of this COVID year where all these classes are online and collaboration is a lot harder to do mm -hmm. virtually. I mean, Zoom, we all know is awful to talk at. You know, you go, oh, you go. No, you go. <laughs> um, so it's great to see students, and especially in my classes, like I just missed that your school friends that you have, those people in your classes who you may not see outside of school or outside of class, but are there to help you through that journey because we're, we're in this together. So if one person's probably failing bio, 
problems with you. You got to help each other. Yeah, sure. Pick each other up. Or if one person's super amped about it and it's just like, you know, this is really blowing my mind that I do want to stay up late thinking about it. Like probably there's another nerd in your class who's like the same. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Sign me up. Um, and I'm very curious to hear more about your experience earning your PhD. And what were some of those highlights from that time of your life that taught you something about yourself? Highlights are hard. <laughs> I had a, I felt horrible in graduate school. Mm-hmm. I came immediately after undergrad, which I regret. If I were going to go back and do it again, I would take a gap year. Um, so I was burnt out by the end of undergrad and then went right into graduate school, which turns out is also hard. <laughs> Wild. Who would have thought? Um, it was easier than undergrad in so many ways because it was just one topic all the time. Right. Um, but yeah, also I felt really inadequate even though I felt well-prepared. Is that, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. I think um, even if you have the knowledge on something and you know you have the skills to back it up, you can still feel insecure in those situations. I felt super insecure. And it felt bad to be bad at my job for six years, which is how long it took me to complete my PhD. I felt very confident that I knew what a good job looked like and I could not deliver that. Well, it's probably similar <laughs> feelings to you had in your calculus class when you had first gotten that grade back and it was like... I'm doing a bad job. Right. This isn't going how I want it to go. I know what it feels like to do a good job, and this isn't it. So did you come out the other end of the tunnel? I sure did. Well, obviously. Um, We're here talking to Dr. Klein. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So highlights are mostly the people. I worked in an amazing lab. I had a mentor, Dr. Malou Tansy, who did not doubt me even one time. She believed in me consistently the whole time, even when I was like, where's the evidence? You're supposed to be a scientist. I'm presenting you with none data to believe in me, and yet you refuse to give to, to do anything but speak positively and supportively about me. So she was the highlight. And it was, it was an all-lady lab. So it was all, like, yeah, all of the other trainees for the majority of the time that I was in that lab were people I could very much see myself in, which makes it easier to be successful in a space. Um, if you can see yourself reflected in the people around you and you admire those people, that feels like a welcoming environment. And that was a big highlight of graduate school. Do you feel this way in the biology program here at UConn or on your pre-med track? Well, I'm actually in a lab and that's like, I had the, I had the same feeling kind of, cause like I, my lab, so my PI, he, obviously we have men and women, like I'm, it's uncomfortable to talk about like that, but we have men and women in the lab, Sure. but we're also primarily women, like it's women dominated. And because my PI is like, it's like, I think it's like just the idea of like women in STEM, like giving them a a space to feel empowered and like to, so I like my the grad student I work under she's also uh identifies as female so I'm like I've I like I want to be like her mm-hmm. but at the same time like I also have an idea of like where I need to be as mm-hmm. a senior as like being in the lab for three years and I I'm like I don't have evidence like to, <laughs> to support myself and I'm like I feel like I feel bad and then I talk to my PI I'm like basically like crying he's like it's okay like I you are okay so just having the conversation. So I don't know. But I, when you're talking about that, I'm like, damn, damn. Like, I feel the same way in my lab. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so great. And then what inspired you to focus um, on Parkinson's disease, for, sorry, Parkinson's disease for your research? And what experiences did you gain from working in research labs during your educational journey? Okay. So I decided to focus on Parkinson's disease because I, coming out of undergrad, um, knew that I, I guess I started with thinking 
I wanted to study any neurodegenerative disease because I was really interested in Alzheimer's. And I thought, I wonder if the mechanisms behind neuron death are the same in different diseases. I didn't know very much as like, this was when I was like a freshman. Um, I started working in a lab for the first time and it was an Alzheimer's disease lab. It studied estrogen's effects on cognition. It was pretty, pretty cool. Um, I collected a lot of vaginal smears, honestly, from rats. <laughs> like that was the thing that I did. I spent a lot That's of time crazy. doing my freshman year. <laughs> it was an intense experience. Um, so yeah, I knew I wanted to study Alzheimer's disease because my had had multiple family members die of, of Alzheimer's disease. And it, to see someone go to the doctor and have the experience of there is no treatment for you. We cannot stop the progression of this. It will not. It's not going to get any better until the end. That was a very impactful early life experience for me. So I knew I was interested in neurodegenerative diseases. And then I applied to graduate schools where there were multiple labs where that was an option, multiple labs working on different neurodegenerative diseases. And then I came to Emory and I met my mentor. I met, I met the person who would become my mentor and her lab happened to have um, a lot of funding to study Parkinson's disease. So that's how I ended up focusing on that particular neurodegenerative disease. I got very um, captivated, interested in how the immune system and neurons interact in Parkinson's disease, because I, my understanding of it coming into graduate school was that this was a neurodegenerative disease, meaning it's a disease that just has to do with neurons. And it was like, actually, th like... There's so much more to that. Right, so much more to that. And like, um, so many immune changes that are part of it when when most people only see the movement disorder aspect right. of it. And it's like, there's, there's just a lot more going on there. Um, so that's what made me want to focus on Parkinson's disease and the experiences that I gained from working in research labs. At first, it just felt very good to go into the lab and basically execute a protocol, kind of like if cooking feels good for a yeah. person, then I think you'd probably like lab, right? Because maybe not cooking, but like following a recipe. So baking maybe more than cooking. <laughs> cooking can be very... I'm coming up. Fluid. Right. Fluid. Yeah. I'm like thinking about what spice combinations look good. Don't do that with antibodies <laughs> in the lab. But um, if you like executing a protocol and, and like doing stuff with your hands, yeah. if that kind of skill set is satisfying to you, then the lab is can be a very satisfying environment. So like um, I first fell in love with it, transferring very thin slices of brain tissue from like one well of a dish to another during like a immunohistochemistry protocol. And I remember I was sitting in a lab listening to NPR. The sections had been stained with Cressel violet, so they were very beautiful. And I was like, that's brain. Amazing. You are like touching the that's substrate so for cool. thought. It was so cool. And I was a baby, right? I was like, I think I was probably 18 or 19. Not that 18 or 19 year olds are babies, but I was in the, the nascency of my education. Sure. And um, yeah, it was... Uh, a really overwhelming and cool experience to be like, I'm, I'm touching this. Super meta. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so fascinating to me because I'm, so I'm personally an art major. I love working with my hands. I'm in a sculpture class right now that I'm super enjoying. It's woodworking. Oh, cool. Um, and I did always appreciate in high school, like, cause this world is so foreign to me right now. And the last labs that I was in was in high school. Um, I mean, I'm in an astronomy lab, but it's not very hands-on. Um, they don't let you touch the stars. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> They're very hot um, and could burn me. Um, but I do remember really liking chemistry and getting a result from uh, 
from a procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's really cool. Do you find the same like a uh, satisfaction in reaching the numbers that you wanted? And- yeah, that yeah. Especially if the results match with what you think is going to happen, <laughs> that's great. When it doesn't, you're like. You get that yeah. little serotonin boost. Yeah, but still getting getting results in general, at least for me as an undergrad being in the lab, getting results is really great because I'm like, I did something right. <laughs> I just like, even if I didn't get any data, which I very often did not get any <laughs> data from my time in graduate school, but like it felt really just like t- your brain is not engaged in the way you think it would be in a science context when you are doing a lab protocol. It's very much like... I'm just focusing on on what on like these tiny movements I'm making with my hand and not putting a very small amount of liquid into the wrong tube. Like yeah. that's a totally different set of skills than like I can predict the results of this experiment. I can r- understand this primary literature, that kind of thing. Kind of cool. Fascinating to me. But anyways, <laughs> going back to your first years of undergrad, mm. is there anything you would tell yourself? I know this is a question people get a lot where like, oh, if you could go back, hindsight is twenty twenty. What would you change or would you not change anything? I would, no, I definitely would change. Um, I learn, I learn as I go, which is a great, like to be able to think back and be like, I could do this differently. But then it also like, it, it sucks because it's like, I could have done it differently, but you don't know. I am learning now specifically. And I would tell myself at freshman year, like, it's okay to say no, like to doing things. I felt like I had to do so much all the time. And I feel this now, especially, but like, it's you, like I needed to prioritize me and not like what I wanted, like me looking looking successful like to your others. aspirations yeah yeah so like I had an idea that I needed to be doing a hundred things I don't need to be doing a hundred things because like if I'm not feeling good you like I'm not execute. gonna do good yeah so I would definitely tell myself like it's okay to like take a break it's okay to say no to doing things as long as it's like just you need a break I guess like it's okay almost identical to what I would tell myself I would tell myself to go to sleep I got <laughs> so totally. little sleep when I was an undergrad and it really messed me up. It hurt me. I, I felt so terrible. Um, I would tell myself to, I would tell myself to date more people and take more dance classes. Oh yeah. And it's hard. It's so hard for STEM, for STEM majors, I think specifically just because of the rigor of these courses. I think anything is hard if you want to do it well. And if you get really wrapped up in it, sure. I totally don't buy that bio is harder than what my partner teaches he teaches writing no way is what I'm doing any more challenging (laughs) than what he's doing but I don't know there is maybe a more culture of competition even then I don't know if I would agree with that um but I I definitely perceived it that way maybe as a freshman well I know like with especially with like I don't want to say pre-med culture but there literally is a culture and we tend to, like, look at other majors and be like, oh, like, that's not as hard as what we're doing because, like, we are, like, always feeling bad about, like, school and the classes we have to take because they're hard. But I also, like, take a step back and I'm like, well, I know, like, example, a lot of people like to talk about business majors. (laughs) And, like, I'm no, but I'll say that, like, for me, I'm like, I'm not interested in business. If I were to go sit in an easy business class, for me, it'd probably be, like, a bit of torture because I'm like, I'm not interested in Mm -hmm. this. And I probably, I don't know if I'd do well. So, like, it would be hard for me, not easy. So, a lot of people, they like to, like, I think there is a competition a little bit of, like, well, I'm doing something hard. And, like, business is easy or communicate. Like, whatever. I'm not trying to, like, say anything bad about business. But I think there's – but I, like, have learned to step back and be, like, well, I'm interested in this. So, yes, it's hard. But, like, it also comes to me in a certain – in a different way than someone else. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And everyone is apt to different skill sets. Like, I don't know how successful I'd be as a pre-med student, mm-hmm. as an art major. But I I agree and disagree with you about how I think things are harder, And but it's the culture surrounding these majors, I think, that um, lead to the stress and the agitation. It might... Probably between and among students, but then also the way faculty interact with students and the way they talk to you and the way they evaluate you. What is the style of assessment? How forgiving is this format? I think that adds to challenge too, but I definitely believe that like, yeah, I I think that if you want to do something really well, it's going to take a lot from you. Yeah. And speaking of taking a lot from you, (laughs) Naidu, we know pre-med is a very rigorous track what are some of your interests? How do you have make time for yourself and uh, t- take a step back from that um, rigor? Um, I do do things. Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do for fun? <laughs> I don't just do study. Um, I I know this sounds like not cliche. It's just like oh, I go to the gym, but I do like to exercise and like I try to prioritize doing that like at least a few times a week. When I get really busy, I notice it's the first thing I actually cut out. And I'm like, I need to reevaluate what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's one thing I like to do. I was just always like in high school, I was I played softball. Like I started playing. I even like played baseball when I was younger. So I was just always used to doing something like active. So I like doing that. I'm also actually, I know this is still considered pre-med a little bit, but <laughs> I'm in a pre-health fraternity. I'm actually co-president. So usually like when I'm not studying, I'm with like my friends in the club or not the club, in the fraternity and we're also doing events, so I like doing that also. Um, but like not school stuff at all. I really like to hike. I'm very oh, out. Me of, too. Want to go hiking? Yeah, I'm very out, like I, I'm an outdoorsy type person. So like for me, just being able to like get out away from this environment is very nice. Do you like the trail? My one of my favorite trails around here is the trail in Dog Lane like right down and it's in the Lutheran church. Have you ever been there? I didn't even know no. that it was um, It's there. part of the Joshua Trust Preserve. Cool. Listeners, go to this trail. It's, so much <laughs> it's like a quick little loop, but it's so nice because you, even though you're close, like you're right behind the oaks and all that stuff, you really feel like you're in the forest. I also love the Mansfield Hollow trails. Well. I love so all fun. the Mansfield Hollow trails too. Um, and there was a, a very close, but you feel like you're very far away trail on my campus for grad school. It was such a good secret cry spot. <laughs> it's like, a good escape. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's good to have a nearby trail Especially that makes you feel like, like the, really far. Like the sterility and sort of the mechanical aspect of labs or school. Getting back into nature is such like a refresh. And exercise too. I teach at the gym. It's pure endorphins. Yes, it's it just is. like so, so relaxing. So I completely agree. <laughs> Dr. Klein, what is it like being a faculty member in the biology department at UConn? What advice do you give students to navigating this department? I know students have a, uh, some students have a difficult relationship with the biology department. Sure. It's dope being a faculty. (laughs) I love it. Every day is the best day. Like I said, this is my dream job. I feel so good about the work that I get to do um, as a part of this department. I have colleagues who I admire. I get that kind of feeling from like I did when I was a graduate student. Like, oh, I want to be like those people. It's such a delight to also be colleagues with them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really feel like I have some people I can learn from. I have access to training opportunities that are very important to me, like the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning offers this inclusive, um, inclusive pedagogy learning community that I get to get to learn from and with. That's awesome. Fascinating. It's really really cool, and it's exactly what I what I was hoping for for my career. Um, and then as far as 
advice for students navigating this major, make sure that you are, I think I said this earlier, but like that you're aware of the resources that are available to you. Sometimes they are not as well advertised as they should be. Oh, totally. But things like if you're, if your professor has any office hours, can you get in there? If Have you just done the thing where you just email them and then ping them again if they took a week to get <laughs> right. to get back to you? Because you can do that. Like in the outside of school setting, it's totally normal to ping someone after a week if they don't get back to you. Um, so making sure you're taking advantage of things like showing up to office hours and sending a simple email. Making sure that you're not trying to be a lone wolf because you don't get bonus points or a special A if you do things alone. So there's like there's no no real perk to not leaning on your community around you, like your your classmates, your professors, your TAs, the academic achievement center. Yeah, all these things that UConn has to offer that are advertised, but I agree, not advertised as well. Especially if you're a transfer student. I mean, first year students talk about this a ton in their FYE classes. Mm -hmm. But if you are coming late to the party and you don't know anything and you find yourself struggling, it's hard. It so. feels like you're the only one who struggled, but it turns out that like, many have gone before you and had the same. Right. And we had um, a academic achievement coach on here too. And she was like, I don't just deal with students on academic probation. I deal with 4.0s or 3.9s who want that 4.0 and stuff. Mm -hmm. So people are pushing themselves. And I think you're right. They should go reach out. Definitely. You should go reach out. I'm trying to think of what else I refer people to. I often refer people to, uh, to the mental health services on campus. Um, I know that some students find it inadequate or not sufficient, but it should be like maybe the first place where you go to try and get networked. And it's totally true that by taking care of your health, including your mental health, um, you'll be better able to succeed in whatever it is, including your biology major, if that's what you're, you're trying to do. It's not like you can you can make this happen if you feel like your life's falling apart. And yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you're missing those, um, um, think back to like health class and like middle school, we think about like physical, mental yeah. and meet your needs. Yeah, exactly. And if one is lacking, assuming the others are also lacking. Absolutely. I tried to run ragged through my undergraduate career and I didn't Don't need to. Do and I, it. Yeah. Just wish I had gone to therapy as an undergrad instead of waiting till grad school to start. Right. Um, and then speaking of post undergrad plans, and I do, do you see yourself anywhere? Do you have a specific job in mind? Um, so I what like med school, obviously. Yeah. So like, sorry, like it doesn't even sorry. Um, <laughs> but I like coming in, obviously, like I want to go to med school. Like that's what I want to do. Like I had the plans to go like matriculate, like right after undergrad, my, um, I also experienced like severe burnout after junior year that I had to postpone my MCAT to September. I was on campus doing my research. I had, like was very preoccupied with that, but also still dealing with like the like the side effects of burnout. Exactly. So I was studying for the MCAT. I took it. Need to take it again. Um, so because I like had to push it back the first time, I do have to take a gap year. Um, which stressed me out because like there's other factors as to like why I wanted to like leave right after undergrad mm -hmm. but like I had to like be like well I have a year so I have to figure out what to do and like I'm in a good place for my G unless I really mess up my GPA is pretty good <laughs> um, knock on wood yeah um, but 
so like masters probably isn't like in my plan i i don't mind doing a masters but like i'd want to work on something else that would like make me better um so i'm i work as a cna um i've been doing that for a while so i'm probably gonna do that and i'm also like looking to move it probably with my significant other because we've been dating for like a really long time and like i i want a year with him oh of course before you go out to med school and yeah hit the ground running but yeah that's a little maybe it's a blessing in disguise that yeah, you have this year. I think so because I feel like I, I was talking about this with one of my friends. People watch SpongeBob. There's like <laughs> an episode where they're like they're making the Krabby Patties and it's like this gray mush and they paint the patty on it. Like my brain feels like that gray mush right now, and I'm like I need a break. And I think yeah. this is really good because I just need to figure out like my why as to why I'm doing all this. And also like um one thing I realized coming off of COVID is that there's no rush. Mm. Like I I don't know if that's different for going into the medical profession, but I feel that there's, if something like this can come along again, like why, where am I rushing to go? Soak, soak up the time I have right now. I'm a sophomore. I got two more years left. Like that's a short period of time. We're already halfway through this year. No. Where's the sense of urgency really coming from? And do you really buy that source? No, I, and I definitely used to definitely coming from high school in a high school, with a very competitive setting, um, coming to UConn where it's also sort of competitive. It's like, what am I even competing for? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to get to the where I want to be no matter what. I have that vision. You have that drive, that passion. You're going to work for it. So why am I rushing to do it? Mm-hmm. I, I will give the perspective, though. Like, for me, I always think, like, well into the future. It might be a good thing. might be a bad thing sometimes. But, like, as a woman going into science or going into medical school, I'm always thinking, like, I still have a residency after med school, which is, like, could be four to six to True. eight years depending on what I do. And, like... I always say, like, I have two goals in my life, to have a family and to get my MD. So I'm like, MD is my first priority, but I do want children. So I'm like, I can't, I don't think I could be in my residency in my 30s and in my 40s. But obviously, like, people do it. Right. But in my head, I'm like, I'm trying to beat, like, what in my head is, like, a biological clock that we learn about. And it's, Mm -hmm. like, it's difficult, I think, for me like, in the position that I am. Sure, of course. I mean, there's definitely other factors that lead into it, but stressful. Yeah, and you're living your life every day from now until you get to that goal, right? So you don't, you want the time between now and your 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 goal to be also enjoyable and gratifying and safe and all of those things. Uh, yeah, you're living your life right now, not just, like, when you get to the yeah. goal. Have you seen the movie Soul by any chance? No. Yeah. So but I want you to tell in, us about Okay. It. <laughs> in Soul, there's this, this um, okay, the premise is this dude is um, a really good jazz musician, but he's teaching middle school band, and he's not where he wants to be. He gets invited to play with this really famous jazz quartet. Cut to, he, like, falls, dies, and um, he's still alive, but he's, like, in this weird soul world. Anyways... There's this um, lesson at the end of the movie where he talks about um, these two fish who are having a conversation and one of the fish goes to the other fish saying, I really want to get to the ocean. I'm just like in this water and I want to be in the ocean. And the fish is like, you're 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 in the ocean. And so he takes that lesson and is realizing that every moment that you have is the ocean. So whether your ocean is your MD or your family, you're still in it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, that's like one thing that like, and it really threw me for a second. Mm-hmm. It's like, your goals are great, but also what about all the stuff leading up to those goals? Like that should also be right. great. You deserve pleasure and satisfaction and comfort and all those things, like not just in the future, right. also, also in your current Absolutely self. right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, as we struggle through this November. Um, 
But for both of you, um, any more advice for students pursuing um, or currently thinking about um, pursuing STEM majors, especially women? I can start. Yeah, go for it. All right. So one thing that I noticed, like, when I was just even, like, to go back to 1107, when I was taking this class as an SI instructor and just, like, going through my classes, at least in my track, a lot of people, they get really intimidated when it gets hard. And, like, I feel like if this is something that you're passionate about, I was actually having a conversation with someone that, like, is coming to the sessions about this. I'm like, if you are passionate about it, just because someone's telling you that it's hard or you heard that it's hard does not mean that it is impossible to do. And I feel like any area in STEM, there's always, like, that connotation that it's hard, it's difficult, like, you're going to have a bad time. And, like, you might a little bit, but if this is something that you're interested in, don't, like just completely push it out of the picture. Right. So a lot of people, they'll take 1107. It's the very first class along with chem and calc, especially like I know pre-med students because they like to push you in all those classes. It's part of like, I think a weed out thing too, but a lot of people get so overwhelmed that they drop STEM completely. And, but they, they don't realize that you can still come back from like a D or an F sometimes, you know, like there's still help. It's not going to break you. Yeah. So like, don't get discouraged because our people are telling you that it's hard because you may either one, have a completely different experience or two, it is hard. But if it's something that you're passionate in, why are you going to do something that makes you unhappy, but is easy? That's a good piece of advice. Yeah. It's going to lead to those 2 a.m. study sessions. Yeah. We're trying to decipher the. Yeah. The trombone loop. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think if I have any final advice for people. Um, I, I, my mind's a little bit blank. No worries if not. Yeah. We can I, keep pushing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so moving towards our closing questions, um, we ask these to all of our guests. I always look forward to these answers because they vary. Um, so thinking more big picture, what do you think the purpose of college is? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm, I feel like it's like learning about you because this is the first time you're away from home. Like I know everyone says it, but it is your first time away from home. You're learning how to navigate social circles. You're like still learning about you. Like I've had many, I'm having like many, like, who am I? What, what am I doing? Um, you're asking a lot of questions about like, again, who you are as a person, what you want to be when you're older. So like this gives you an outlet to resources you probably, some people don't have at home. Um, even if you're like living at home, I still like, you're still on campus. Like you're still away from the house. And like, there's always like people act differently when they're here versus when they're home. I definitely am one of those people, but like, I don't, I know it's a cliche answer to be like, it's to learn about you, but I really think like college is learning about you. I completely you. agree. Yeah. I hope say. that people, I hope that people get the opportunity to learn about themselves. I also really think it's a, that one of the great purposes of liberal arts education is to sample a bunch of different kinds of ways of knowing about the world and to see that there's beauty and challenge in all of those different ways of knowing about the world. So like sampling widely and breadth seem yeah. like important purposes of college so that you learn about yourself and so that you're like, you know, I actually don't know that much. I feel like realizing that you don't know that much is a very lovely payoff of of college, even if at the time it can feel like, oh no, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that I don't know much. It's like, now you're not going to be a jerk and, and be a person who postures and is like, I'm an authority and I know everything and have nothing left to learn. I don't like those people. Yeah. And so I feel like one of the lovely purposes of college is to like be humbled and realize that there's a lot of knowledge out there being created in, in existence 
that you're just starting to taste. Yeah, I'm so thankful I ended up at UConn. I wanted to go to art school, solely arts education, but I think, like you said, this liberal arts education where I get to sample and learn more than just this one thing, it just makes you such a better person in the end, too. You're able to not just talk about dinner parties, but you're able to learn more about the world and have thoughts and opinions on these subjects as well. Yeah, and you just like, you, it's cool to know what you don't know, True. I think. It's also scary. It's a double-sided sure. coin, especially learning about like the world around me. It can feel pressuring and suffocating at some points. It well, definitely can. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No. But for me, I actually, the most influential classes, if we're like, talk about breadth of like coursework too, is like, most influential classes I take are not in the science department. Damn. They help me so much. And that, like, opens my eyes in, like, a completely – like, I'm in a completely different world. Right. It can help inform your research, too. Yeah. Especially if you learn about something cool that you want to study in your pre-med. Right. All right. And now we're at our final question. We've given a lot of advice, so I feel like we've um, pushed the limit on that. <laughs> but um, this last question is not actually from me. It's from you guys. We get to flip her around. You can ask me a question. Ooh. Um, anyone want to start? Sure. What kind of art do you make? You said you mentioned woodworking, but um, yeah. So that is in my sculpture class. I'm a graphic design concentration, so I work with Photoshop and Illustrator and all that stuff. But I really, um, I have a really strong passion for printmaking. Um, I wish you could double concentrate. You can't, but I'm gonna burn out all those printmaking classes. There's this really great all day Friday classes, like six hours, and you just like oh. print make. It's just one of my favorite things to do because I love working with my hands. And so it kind of marries the two, the kind of graphic quality of graphic design, but also the hands-on quality of actually like pushing your print and relief and all that stuff. So, yeah. That's cool. (laughs) Such a nerd. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) It's good to like what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My question is actually, why did you decide to like host these podcasts? So, um, in high school, I was really active in my theater program and loved performance and performing and getting up on the stage and making a ham of myself. And I knew going to school that I didn't want to sacrifice those parts of my life. So I um, got an email um, before I had even gone on campus because I was an LC about this podcast that they were starting. It's like, this is an opportunity to get in front of people and <laughs> make a ham of myself. Um, so I turned in an audition tape and got the gig. And I really, I was going to tell you this after, but I don't, I feel so lucky. Like, I love my job because when am I ever going to be able to talk to a biology professor and a student? Anytime, office hours are Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. But it's true. Like, I get to, in addition to sampling all these classes with liberal arts education, I get to talk to so many different people and I don't think my undergrad so far would be the same without everything I've learned mm-hmm. so that's one of like the silver linings of it but that's why I decided to become a podcast host I don't know if I decided or really it, it picked it came oh, to me faded yeah <laughs> um but um thank you so much for coming this was a phenomenal conversation I've been really loving the conversations we've been having in season two um and as always roll skis thank awesome. you so much for having me thank no you problem. My First Year Story podcast is a production of the University of Connecticut's undergraduate student body in collaboration with the Office of First Year Programs, Learning Communities, 
the Academic Achievement Center, and the Learning Community Innovation Zone. Our co-producers are Casey Jaycox and Hannah Peterson. Our staff advisors are Cody Ryan and Helena DeBald. For more information on our podcast, to meet our entire staff, and to listen to more episodes, visit fyp.ucon.edu backslash mfys. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at UConnFYP.